Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. It is a gift to be here together. We're continuing our series this morning called Outpouring, and we're walking through the book of Acts. And this morning, uh, we're picking up in Acts chapter 7, and it's the narrative of the stoning of Stephen, the first uh, Christian martyr. So we're going to dive in. We're going to read the last section. We're going to jump back into the first couple of sections and kind of treetop it so you get a sense of where we're headed. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, please take them out. If you don't have them in print, take out your phone, follow along with us. Uh, We're trying and we want to equip you to understand and know how to open up the word, read it for yourself, learn it for yourself. So we're going to have limited slides intentionally. Okay. So it kind of forces you in a way to pay attention. Are you with me here? Okay. You don't just get to come here and sit in a chair that's really soft and just like consume and just be wowed. Like this is a little bit dynamic here. We, We are serious about the idea of transformation. Um, just as a backstory uh, or a back note on to, as to how our sermon series work, because uh, I realized this last week through a conversation with a friend, maybe this isn't always explicitly clear. We are encouraging you and trusting that you would be reading the scripture that we're going to be studying on a Sunday morning through the week. And we have a great resource called The Daily. So as a church, our practice is to actually study in depth every single verse that we're preaching through. Okay, we're not going to go verse by verse here on a Sunday morning per se, but actually that uh, challenges you to be in the word through the week. And you can sign up for that resource called The Daily on our website. And I would encourage you to do that because when we come here on a Sunday, we're focusing in on one passage that sort of summarizes the whole section um, or one passage that as a team we've prayed over and felt like, man, this is where we really need to focus in. Um, this Sunday. And then in our as well, many of our uh, different community groups do different things, and many of our community groups uh, use the daily as a resource to go through um, the Word. So we want to be learners and, and, and know the Word, but we don't just want to know it. We want it to play out in our lives. So you with me on this? Okay, so let's, if, if you're not participating in that, I want to challenge you in this next season. Let's run. Let's jump in together. Um, it's not a legalistic thing. It's about formation. It's about what Jesus is doing in and through us as a body. So uh, the passage is Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. I have to warn you, it's a little bit of a weird start because we're coming in like in the last part of the narrative, but we're going to go back. You'll understand uh, as we go. So let's, let me read it over us here this morning. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. This is Stephen. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Jesus, receive my spirit, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we 
dive into this passage and the narrative of Stephen being stoned, we're asking for an outpouring of your spirit into our lives, that you would mine our hearts and mine the truth of this passage for our hearts, and we would be changed by the good news of your gospel that we find in this passage this morning. Lord, I ask that you would give me the words to share that I would speak from and through you, and the things that are from you would be remembered, and the things that are not would be forgotten. And Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word, that it cuts us, that it challenges us, that it builds us up, that it comforts us and encourages us. And we, you know what each one of us in this room, what each uh, family, what each couple, what each circle of friends needs. And we ask that you would do those things here, now, in this space. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at Christmas time, um, we decided to finally buy our one of our sons something he had been asking for for a very long time. Oh, you know what this is. What is this? Yeah, it's a Nintendo Switch. He had been asking for so long, and he had wanted it, and we finally gave in. And, uh, and man, it was a... Um, it was a romance from the beginning that he has with this thing. I mean, the, he just loves this little device right here. As much as he can, he wants to be on it. And of course, at first, we gave him a lot of time on the Switch. It was a new Christmas gift. And then I remember uh, December 26th um, when we woke up and we said, hey, listen, buddy, you're actually not going to be able to play this all day long. Like, you have 24 hours in the day. and 20 of those hours is not going to be consumed on your Nintendo Switch. And it would have appeared that the world was coming to an end. Anybody with me here? I mean, it, it got really bad really fast. Like, the high of Christmas and the gratitude for the Switch just went downhill real fast. I mean, he freaked out and was so angry. I mean he ground his teeth in anger, okay? And, and, and we might say, well, this is just how children are when something gets taken away from them. But is this not, in a way, the temperature of our culture? I mean, just, 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 just consider with me the vindictive rhetoric of the past couple of years. Um, and, and whether you lean more conservative or whether you lean more progressive, there's a lot of hate and anger and teeth grinding going on. I mean, the level of offense in our little corner of the world, I would say, at least in my lifetime, is at an all-time high. And, and some of you are even offended that I'm bringing this up right now. No? <laughs> Why is this? How can we move through our disappointments and our offenses and the missed expectations of our lives or when we're wronged or when we're even violated? How do we move through those without unleashing our vengeance upon others? And this account of Stephen Stoning offers us an astonishing vision of a more dignifying and humanizing response when it comes, when, when, when something we care about uh, is deeply threatened or when it's taken away from us. So, so let's look at this passage uh, in three movements, okay? You can write these down. They're not going to be on the screen, so you have to get a good mental note here, okay? You with me here? here here's the outline. Uh, exposure is the first movement. Um, it's the threat 
of our idols being taken away. Vengeance is the second movement. It's our response to the threat. We find this passage. And then the third movement is forgiveness, the alternative response. So exposure, vengeance, and forgiveness. First, exposure. Verse 54, now, when they had heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. What's happening in the narrative up until this point? Who are they? They are a group of Jewish uh, followers who are part of a synagogue called the Freedmen. We're going to learn a little bit more about that in a moment. And let me just back up a little bit to the overview of Acts really briefly, how we got to this point, okay? Acts 1, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He ascends. They replace Judas. Acts 2, if you remember, the Holy Spirit comes in power. Um, The disciples pour out onto the streets at Pentecost. Um, They're sharing the gospel. 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. And then we get this beautiful vision of the early church where we get our five practices in verses 42 to 46. And they're, they're living this life together in Jesus that is so compelling. Jesus' movement is starting to take off. But then in Acts 3 and 4, something happens. Again, if you've been reading along with us, you know this. A, lot, a lame beggar is healed by Peter. And Peter and John are arrested. Um, and then we start to hear a, a different rhythm. So again, the, uh, the honeymoon of the early church started to create trouble in the city of Jerusalem. And people start to get, like chapter two, the religious leaders start to get greatly annoyed is the first uh, thread we hear of it. Then in Acts 5, there's signs and wonders. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira have, uh, are tragically um, uh, die. Um, uh, the apostles are arrested. And then we find in verse 33 of Acts 5, the religious leaders are enraged and they wanted to kill them. So the temperature is rising in Jerusalem, in the early church, in terms of the annoyance and the teeth grinding, we might say. Acts chapter 6, David preached a wonderful message last week, getting in your sweet spot, understanding the gifts that we have and how we are to utilize our gifts for God's glory in the body of Christ. The word of God increased, verse 7. A number of priests became obedient to the faith. So this little sect of Judaism... This little band of people that are proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, that he has been resurrected from the dead, are starting to create problems for the religious institution in Jerusalem. And then it sort of comes a little bit to a climax here in the passage this morning. And in chapter, at the end of chapter 6, what we find in verse 8 is that Stephen, who was one of the seven who we talked about last week, who was chosen, who we've eight of chapter six. You can follow with me back to Acts chapter six, because we're going to go through this next chapter here over the next couple of minutes. He was full of grace and power. He was doing great wonders and signs. And then this group of people, this group of Jewish leaders who were part of the synagogue called the Freemen, they got really upset, and they started disputing with Stephen, verse nine. But in verse 10, we find they couldn't, Stephen had such wisdom and such power about him, they could not withstand him. And so what do you do when you can't win an argument? (laughs) You resort to other tactics, okay? And this is exactly 
Um, what happens in verses 11 through 13, they instigate people, they stir people up to be a false witness against Stephen. And here's what they say. This man speaks blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And then in verse 13 and 14, he never, Stephen never ceases speaking against this sacred holy place. That's the temple and the law. And then they put the icing on the cake on the accusations against Stephen. Okay, they say, this guy, Stephen, he's saying that Jesus of Nazareth is going to destroy the temple and he's going to change the customs of Moses. Oh, can you believe it? Stephen. Now, by the way, this term Jesus of Nazareth is totally derogatory against Jesus. I mean, like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. So they're just saying, like, can, they, can you believe that this guy, Stephen, is actually saying this about this guy, Jesus? And so in verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1, this is sort of the second section of this whole narrative. The first is the, this accusation. The second is Stephen's speech here. And the priest in verse 1 says, so Stephen, are these things true? And Stephen goes on for the next chapter, the longest speech in the book of Acts. And what he does is he basically lays out to these leaders who are all listening in, and now the high priest is listening in, what he actually believes to be true about Jesus of Nazareth. And in the accusation that they made to Stephen, there were really three points, weren't there? There was... The temple's going to be destroyed. The law of Moses is obsolete. And then he's going to change the customs of Moses. I mean, that, that was the accusation there. Stephen's speech is, a, is, a direct, is directly addressing these three things that were of utmost concern to the leaders in this synagogue. Okay? The temple, the law, and changing the customs of Moses. Okay? You're going after Moses. You're in big trouble in Jerusalem, okay? I'm going to summarize the speech for you, and I hope you've read it this last week, and I hope you read it this coming week. And I'm not going to take time to go through it all because I want to get to the text that we had uh, read this morning. But here's, in short, what Stephen says. He says, the law and the temple, let me tell you a story. He starts with Abram. He says, God was working in the Jewish nation before the law was even, was even established, before the temple was even built, God called Abram, Abraham in a foreign land. They weren't even in Jerusalem. They weren't even in the promised land. And God was working, okay? It's a direct rebuttal to, Steve, to their accusation that he says, or it's, it's directly addressing the thing that they were accusing him of. He's saying, look, actually the law and the temple aren't the ultimate thing. God was working far before then. And then as he goes on in his speech, he directly addresses Moses, okay? Um, verse 23 through 29, he recounts Moses killing the Egyptian. You may have re, uh, recount this uh, from um, the Old Testament. And as Moses is trying to dis settle this dispute, one of the Israelites says, who made ruler and judge over us? And Stephen actually takes this language and he sort of flips the script on him and says, actually, you rejected Moses. You have been rejecting Moses from the beginning. In fact, not only did you reject Moses, you've rejected every single prophet that God ever sent to you. 
Verse 39 through 40 says, Your fathers refused to obey him, and they turned back to Egypt, making gods and idols for themselves. Then Stephen kind of brings this speech to a climax, and I want to read this little part here, okay? Because he's, he's, he's dealt with the temple, he's dealt with the law, he said, you've actually rejected Moses. And then he says this, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he spoke to Moses and directed him to make it. Um, our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispo, uh, dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, verse 46. He says, David had a vision for the temple, but it was Solomon who ultimately built the temple. But then in verse 48, he says this, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place of my rest did not my hand make all these things? And Stephen's speech at this point comes to this painful, climactic moment. It's what he says. You, and he's speaking to the, the rulers of this synagogue, you stiff-necked people. That's a great way to start. Un, it gets better. Uncircumcised in heart. I mean, the, 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 the controversy around that statement in itself is just, I mean, you can just see these religious leaders starting to grip their fist and cringe. It gets better. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. They're talking about Jesus. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. So in short, <laughs> these synagogue leaders say to Stephen, you're speaking against the temple, you're speaking against the law, you're speaking against Moses, and Stephen, in short, says, I absolutely am, and I'm telling you right now, I'm not the one who's rejecting these things. You all have been the one who's rejecting these things from the beginning of your story, and so much so that even in this moment, you have rejected the very Messiah that God has sent into the world, and you were the ones who killed him. And that brings us to verse 54. <laughs> When these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Now, what is happening in this moment? They are so afraid that they're going to lose their switch. Stephen has exposed something in their hearts that is now being deeply threatened. So just think about it with me for a moment, okay? The synagogue of the freedmen. These are probably diaspora Jews, which are Jews after the exile who form communities around the known world. We know from the passage here they're Greek speakers, okay? So they're, they're Greek um, ethnically. Cyrenians, Alexandrians, Sicilia, Asia Minor, modern Turkey. Because they're called freedmen, this isn't like their official name. This is like what the name is for them on the street. Like it's a synagogue of the freedmen. They, they were once, at one point in time, probably bound. They were probably enslaved in some way. They had been granted freedom. And they would not have wanted to go back, understandably so. And for, for these Jewish converts from Greek culture, the 
and the law and the traditions of Moses were the structures that secured them. And if these things were changed or were deconstructed, it might mean a profound loss of power or privilege that they had enjoyed. When the things that we have relied on most deeply for our sense of place in the world are threatened, it is an exposure of how critical it was to the infrastructure of our identity. Let me just say that again. When the things we have relied on most deeply for our sense of place in the world are threatened, because that's what's happening right here with this group, it is an exposure of how critical it was to the infrastructure of our identity. And part of what Stephen is saying is, make no mistake, Jesus comes to deconstruct those things that we find our deepest sense of identity in other than him, a.k.a. idols. Why do you think Stephen brought that up in his speech? Saying, this was the thing that the Jewish nation was struggling with. In the moment when you're proclaiming the name of Moses, they rejected Moses and they went after idols. And I would argue, welcome to the last two years of our American cultural moment. Our nation is the equivalent of a giant arcade where all of our switches are being taken away and everyone is freaking out, throwing temper tantrums, blaming others, and deeply offended. People are on edge. Vengeance is high. What is happening? We're all afraid. And all of us have a switch. We're all afraid to lose our switch. Whether our switch is freedom, we feel like that's being threatened, or whether our switch is safety, and we feel like that's being threatened, or whether our switch are our rights, our perceived rights in this nation, whether we feel like those are being threatened, whether that is to vote, or whether that is to own a gun, or whatever, you can fill in the blank. For a lot of us, it's our time that's being threatened. And what is our response when something is taken away, what does this lead to? And I love what James 1, 15, 14 and 15 says. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I think that's another way of saying when you have an idol in your life that you are completely in love with and enamored by. Verse 15, then the desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And this leads to our second observation, because it's exactly what unfolds in Stephen's life, vengeance. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, verse 55, and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Listen to verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. To death. So I want you to understand the severity of the violence that's inherent to our idols. This is a man who's proclaiming faith in Jesus, and his message is absolutely threatening the, the religious institution, the religious institution of that day. And the effect of what happens to him is they murder him. 
They stone him to death. We've had some martyrs throughout the history of the church, men, women who have stood up and proclaimed the truth in the face of a culture that did not want to hear it. One of them we celebrated this last Monday when the great heroes of the faith, Dr. Martin Luther, who was murdered because he stood up for truth. He said, the scripture is not about discrimination. It's not about that kind of injustice. And people hated him for it and killed him for it. This is part of the cost of following Christ in the world. Make no mistake. Are there blessings that come with following Christ? Absolutely. There is an internal strengthening and blessing and new life that you are given in Christ. But to follow Christ in the world means that you have no allegiance to this world. You have allegiance to one king, and that is Jesus Christ and what he has laid out through his word. And sometimes it's going to mean you are going to be marginalized and pushed to the fringe because of your faith, because you stand for what is true and right and real in this word. And sometimes, in extreme circumstances, it might cost you your life. That's not the case for most of us in this room. Though, who knows, it could be at some point. But this is the deep exposure of our idols and what it leads to is this kind of vengeance. Our idolatry at play, as played out in the life of these synagogue leaders, is a direct violation of the glory of God. And it always will lead vengeance or violation or harm of another person who we perceive to be behind the threat. Because when you put your identity in something in this world, whoever is responsible for threatening it or whoever is responsible for taking it away in your mind becomes your enemy and the person you will, by your natural flesh, go after. Our idolatry in extreme circumstance leads to afflicting harm and even murder on others. But what is amazing about this passage is not only do we see these painful realities of our idolatry, which is important for us to see because we are all susceptible to this. Probably in this passage, we are more like the religious leaders, I know I certainly am, than Stephen. But in Stephen's life, and this brings us to our third observation, forgiveness, we actually see a vision of an alternative response. And Jacob read it earlier, and I just want to read it again, and it's such a beautiful picture. And falling to his knees, okay, just you, you, get, the, you get the moment. Stephen is, they are hurling rocks at his body crushing his body with these rocks. And here's what he does. He drops to his knees, and here's what he cries out with a loud voice. And just to know that this is a proclamation from him, he's crying out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he dies. His last words, the last words off of the man's tongue who is being murdered because what he has proclaimed is a direct threat to the idols of the religious establishment. It's completely different than the people of the synagogue. His proclamation, don't hold anything against them. The, the, the religious leaders are only threatened. They don't lose anything at this point. He is losing his life. 
And their response is vengeance, and his response is forgiveness. One group who has something that they hold so dear that's being threatened, the freemen, the object of their affection is religion and in bondage to fear of losing power and privilege. It leads them to inflicting harm on another. And then in contrast, you have Stephen, who is the one person who's actually losing something. He's the bound man. He's not, a, he's not the freed man in that moment. He's the bound man. And the object of his affection is Jesus Christ. And free and fearless of losing his very life, this leads him to not holding anything against others, even the people who are trying to murder him. And he offers forgiveness and grace. This is the difference. How does Stephen respond with this kind of poise? How will you respond? How will I respond when that person in your life that you so deeply disagree with, that, you, that so deeply and profoundly offends you, how will you look at them in the eyes and have the posture of Stephen and say, I may disagree with you, but I don't hold anything against you. My posture towards you is complete and utter forgiveness. I don't hold anything against you. I mean, that is a radical vision what if we live that out today? I mean, can you imagine what that would look like? Here's the problem. It's not in you and it's not in me. We are far too insecure, far too fearful, far too hurt, far too angry, far too defensive, far too vindictive. It's in every single part of our lives. Okay? Last week, I went to a hockey game with my, uh, my son's hockey game, and we were in a hotel room, and it was like uh, you know, 11 o'clock at night, and we're trying to go to sleep for the game in the morning, and I'm you know, like tired, exhausted from the whole day. And, and, and my children and my wife are like walking on eggshells around the hotel room. Why? Because I, as my wife said, you turn into a grumpy monster when you don't get to sleep. And it's a small thing, but it's a big thing. Because my switch, my, my sleep switch, was going to get stolen from me. And I had an expectation of what I wanted. And I was so frustrated and so upset about that. And it's a small thing, but it plays out in bigger ways too. What causes Stephen to look at his persecutors and not be defensive and not try to defend his life, but to turn in love and say, I hold nothing against you. I hold nothing against this person. And we find the answer, and this is where this message concludes this morning, with the object of Stephen's affection. What had become ultimate to Stephen's heart, the place where Stephen was exercising his worship. Verse 55, we see it with such clarity, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand, the righteous one, he says, the one who held nothing against him the one who died for Stephen, the one who died on Stephen's behalf for all the vindictive things that Stephen buried in his heart. He knew he had been freed. He had been brought into a new life. He had been filled with the Holy Spirit. He had been filled with a new spirit. And this Holy Spirit in him, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ on the cross, and the forgiveness that Stephen had received allowed him to look at those religious leaders and even as their idol was being taken away, all they could see was their idol, even could see was Jesus. And therefore, when Stephen is standing there, he looks up to the throne room of heaven, the courtroom of heaven, and he doesn't need to defend himself because he has one who's defending him. Romans 8, 27 says the Spirit is interceding for us. Hebrews seven twenty five says uh, Jesus 
always lives to make intercession for us. 1 John 2, 1 says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. He is an advocate for us. F.F. Bruce says it this way, Stephen had been confessing Christ before men, and now he sees in heaven Christ confessing his servant before God. Jesus stands for you. You don't have to stand for yourself. If Jesus Christ is the one who is giving you a sense of identity and someone threatens to take that away, you are okay because your life is not defined by that thing. But if your identity is in yourself or your work or your family or your sexuality or your freedom or freedom from masks or freedom to wear masks or your safety or a disease or you have, you have no choice but to become enraged, So may we be a people who set our affection on Jesus Christ as Lord. May he be everything. May he overwhelm our lives, deconstruct our idols, and may he reconstruct our hearts in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, and thank you for the contrast that we see between the religious leaders and Stephen. Lord, we confess that our natural, our natural disposition is to be like the religious leaders. But we thank you that you do not leave us like that, but you sent your son into the world to die for our sin, even when we are idolatrous. You love us, you pursue us, and you lovingly break down our idols. And so we pray that we would be a people who would be open-handed to you, and you would replace yourself, Lord, as the as the supreme affection of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week.